0: We're not professionals, are we? Oh man, I don't know, man. It's cutting in bad. Really? Yeah. Oh really? Okay, now I can hear you. Oh man, I'm not sure what's going on. Me either. Hmm. Yeah, it
1: can't be on my end,
0: can it? Let me check something real quick. I don't know it's I mean I think it's working right now
1: let's see
0: it's just really it goes let
1: see if I can just move inside
0: it goes fine for a while and then it uh, you know, all of a sudden it sounds like that robot like you were trying to check check Welcome to another episode of Practically Theologians, where we try to focus on making theology practical. Today, I'm Andrew, and I'm in Central Illinois, and I am with Josh. Josh, where are you
1: at? So, you're Andrew today. Uh, Who knows who you'll be at tomorrow, but today, today I am Josh, and I am in Western Washington. Uh,
0: yes, and tomorrow I plan to be Andrew as well, uh, and I also plan to be in Central Illinois. But anyways, regardless, we are recording uh, remotely, uh, so we're going to try to make this work. And I'm excited today because we are kicking off uh, what we hope will be a, um, a long-running series of podcasts where we look at different passages that are misunderstood or misapplied, and we're calling this series Misused and Abused. Misuse and So We're going to be looking at podcasts that we are going to be looking at passages that are misused and abused. Uh, and then we're also going to look at um, not only how are they misused, but how do we properly understand them and then properly apply them as Bible-believing Christians. Uh, Josh, anything you want to add about this series that we're going to be doing before we jump into our first one today?
1: Uh, no, I mean, uh, to add to what you said, I guess the only thing I would add is that even uh, I, I have a couple examples showing that even solid solid guys misuse Bible texts, or at least use them for their own purposes instead of for the purpose maybe that the uh, Bible, that the passage was intended for. Which which may may be okay depending on what they're doing, but we'll just see those examples. So it's not like we're saying that uh, only bad people misinterpret the Bible. <laughs> yep we all, yep, do. That's, that's, we all do. that's a good
0: good clarification so we all have a tendency um, to bring our own baggage to the passage right so what we're looking at is how do we properly study out a passage so that the, the our past experiences or maybe some some things that we don't understand about the Bible itself how do we see past those things or how do we get through those things to actually get to what the text means We all have a tendency and the, um, the ability to 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 misunderstand a passage. And anytime we misunderstand something, uh, it becomes misused, it becomes abused in the sense that we misapply it. Um, And anytime we misapply God's word, uh, we need to uh, be looking at how we can properly understand and then properly apply it. So um, you're right, you're absolutely right. It's it's, a lot of times it's done uh, unintentionally, uh, but in order to properly worship God, and properly live out uh what he has called us to do and how he has called us to live we need to properly understand who he is uh through his word so you're you're right that and that's the that's the motive behind why we're going to be looking at these passages
1: yeah and and I know you're going to take us to our first passage shortly but it is interesting also just to keep in mind it's not like you necessarily arrive at false conclusions when you're misusing a bible text yep. you may have something true that you're saying um so anyway that's just an interesting point to also be aware of.
0: Agreed. Yep, so our first passage is uh, our first verse um is part of a larger passage that we'll look at but it's Romans 8:28. Uh Josh, so I'm going to read just this verse and we'll we'll just start start looking at maybe some of the ways that this verse can be misunderstood or misapplied. So Romans 8:28 says And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So, Josh, in your experience, um, we've got this verse here that says that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. Mm -hmm. How are some ways that you've seen that that verse uh, misused and abused?
1: Yeah, so... I mean, starting with perhaps a uh, more innocent misuse and and a well-meaning one, uh, someone going through loss, grieving, is told by their by their brother or sister in Christ, um, this verse that all things work together for for good um, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And it's it's it can be, it's not intended to be, but it can be a a trite and pat answer to suffering in life uh, that is meant to, I guess, give somebody light at the end of the tunnel. Tunnel, But but it's so often uh, misused in the sense that it's only a little tiny bit of that verse is looked at. It's, it's that 828 is the only ver- part of the whole section, I mean, that is looked at. And there's so much more than the thought of of um, things turning out for good. There's so much more to it, um, because we really have to think about what do you mean by all things and good and that sort of thing. Do you yeah. So, you I, I yeah,
0: you're you're right. And I think that before we move on and, and look at the proper understanding of of those two items that you just spoke of the what does it mean by all things and what does it mean by good. Uh, I think that. This shows why this is important, uh, because if you just took this this verse as it reads, as I just read it, um, and you you just allow this verse or try to allow this verse to stand on its own alone, uh, separated from the rest of the passage, uh, you will in your mind, you will begin to define uh, your you'll begin to use your own definition of all things and your own definition of good. Uh, that's just the way that our minds work. As, as fallen human beings, um, we will try to define those things our way. So uh, you could end up with a lot of different ways that you would try to um, understand this this verse. And I think that, especially on the word good, uh, I think that if we were to misde- misdefine that and say, well if this is to work out for my good and I think that good means whatever you, whatever you fill in there, if it doesn't turn out that way, then we begin to question this, this verse and, and ultimately begin to question God.
1: Right. So let me experiment on you on the fly here. And and we can return to this when we talk about how to properly interpret the passage, perhaps. Uh, is that okay with you? Yeah. All right. So Andrew, let's just say that you are suffering with something like, like cancer, and um, you're going through treatments that are painful and unpleasant, and may not even work, and you're suffering. and And I'm your friend, and we go to the same church, and we see each other a lot. And this is not true; we don't go to the same church, and we don't see each other a lot. I am your friend, though. Uh, but I come over to your house, and we talk, and I bring up this verse, and I tell you, Andrew. I know you're going through suffering right now, but you know, be comforted, because for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose, all these things will work out for good. How would that? How does that impact you as a suffering person, Andrew?
0: Yeah, I think that if if you're to take that just um, at face value. I think immediately you start to question how that could be true, Um, how how that actually matters to me right now. Um, If if someone is in the midst of suffering like that, how does that verse actually help Uh, when it seems like everything in life is proving that not to be the case?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, uh, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but it kind of removes the empathy Mm-hmm. It's going all the way to the end, but not really struggling with the person through the beginning of suffering, because um, suffering leads eventually to glory. But sometimes it takes a long time to get there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so Josh, I just want to highlight real quickly um, what we're talking about here is it, this is how this verse can be subtly. Um, misused or misunderstood. Uh, maybe we could even say that this verse, sometimes when it's misused, it's just not used to the depth that it could be. Right. So, so you just use it on its surface and you're not necessarily wrong, um, but it doesn't have the full impact that it could. Uh, and I think that's part of why we, we were really excited about doing a series uh, where we look at some of these passages like this, because very often they're not completely like you, you talked about when we started, they're not completely um, taken, you know, they're, they're not understood the opposite of what they mean. We we understand some basic principles about what this verse is saying, but we don't get to the depth of it, which doesn't allow God to minister to us through his word the way that it could. Um, because we're basically, you know, we're taking it at a very shallow level. Right. Um, and, and that's, very, that can be done with the best of intentions. And I think, you know, we've all done that with, with scripture, tried to help someone or tried to try to minister or comfort or even ourselves uh, and not gotten to the depth uh of what God's word can richly provide for us.
1: Well I've used this passage with 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 other believers. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. So we'll let's return to that scenario at the end when we kind of talk about yeah. a, a better way to look at the
0: present. Sure. So before we get there though, let's look at so we're looking at how this verse could be um slightly misused or maybe just not understood to the to the degree or the depth that it could be. Uh, but there's also some extremes. Um, so let's look at that. Let's go there first before we start looking at what this really means. Um, what are some ways that this verse has just been absolutely, uh, abused to the extreme level, um, and then taken to mean something that it literally doesn't mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I have two of the finest preachers of our time, uh, as examples. And when Perfect. I say finest, finest preachers of all time. That does not necessarily mean that they're not false teachers, but they're great preachers. Um, so I have two examples of false teachers slash great preachers, Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen. I figured they'd be good representative samples of perhaps a more uh, higher degree of Bible twisting than most. What do you think about those two people? You fan? Yeah. Are you a fan of them?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll just let you explain. So <laughs> I, I think it is good to look at, th- they are professional, uh, Bible twisters, whether they know it slash admit it. Um, but and I think
1: popular and popular and Joyce popular. Meyer is a very popular author in a lot of women's Bible studies yep. that are, that you know, churches that aren't bad churches in the sense of false teaching necessarily yes. They use her. Yeah. Book, like Battlefield of the for the Mind or something like that. There's a book that's out there and yep. I've heard it mentioned in in pretty decently solid churches. So uh, no offense if you're a Joyce Meyer fan, but you really shouldn't be listening to her. But this is what she says on her website about Romans 8, 28. Um, and speaking about the verse, her big, de- her big thing is the idea that you, when you agree with God, uh, those are the things that are going to happen in your life. And so she gives the example of of Joseph and how a person who has their faith firmly planted in God cannot be defeated. The Bible says that Joseph's brothers hated him, but God was with him. God gave him favor and promoted him. So we see that his faith in God lifted him above his circumstances. Uh, This is off her website. It's a quote. That was a quote. And then I'll paraphrase the rest of this. Um, Some terrible things happened to Joseph. So she goes through how His brother sold him how they told his father that an animal had killed him how he was betrayed and all that by those he tried to help and then she says but god had a good plan for joseph and it came to pass now this is the part that i would like to emphasize he ultimately said that although the things that had happened to him were originally meant for harm god intended it for good good and the word ultimately is kind of a key word um because then she goes on to say, this is the same thing is true for all of us. Satan cannot defeat us if we keep believing that God is working for our good and that we are being continually transformed into his image. And in talking about Joseph and how God promoted it, gave him favor and promoted him, and using the word ultimately there, she she is pointing out that Joseph went through suffering in this life. But the problem is she, she points out also that Joseph received favor and promotion in, in this life. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe what she is looking at is she's looking at this life as the life, as the place to receive God's quote, favor and quote promotion. <laughs> uh, that is the problem. and and um, And so she's looking at this life, this short and painful life that ends in death. She says don't you worry this life. We're going to get good stuff. Eventually. If you just keep believing and setting our mind where we want to go. And eventually our circumstances will catch up to those good things. We're envisioning in our mind. Um, that's choice Meyer. Um,
0: so I think so, one thing, I one thing that sticks out there too, that I think that would be worth, look, uh, just at least, uh, noticing, um, is when some, you will typically see this and I, and you can, it's, it's very evident why, uh, her statement at the end there, um, Satan cannot defeat us if we keep (laughs) believing that God is working for our good and that we are continually being transformed into his image. So there's a lot of, when you are looking for rewards in this life, there always has to be a conditional statement that comes back to what you are doing, right? Because if it doesn't go well for someone, how how does someone like Joyce Meyer get out from under that? Uh, if, if someone says, well, things don't seem to be working out for my good, it ultimately comes back to, are you sure that you're believing that God is going to work things out? You know, so it always comes back to, um, how strong is your faith? What what are you believing in? Um,
1: certainly it can't be God's fault, right?
0: Correct. Because, because like we said earlier, that's what will happen if, if we think it's going to be something in this life and it doesn't our tendency is to point to God and blame him or there's a, there's an opportunity there to blame God for not carrying through on his promise. And, and people like Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen know that that's not, um, that can't be the case, right? Because that starts to undermine, uh, their entire platform. So it has to come back on the person, which becomes a very serious form of, uh, of, it's just very heavy, I guess, responsibility or, or it's, it's law,
1: you know, what law. What a burden.
0: Yeah. It sounds promising until you try to work it out
1: yeah yeah and so so and then the other problem with her view is is who is defining what is good yep so so she's basically saying you you Andrew or you Josh you individual person you decide what is good in your life set your mind on those things yep and uh, that's what God will give you and and while she might ultimately say well what you think is good should be biblically good she might say that um, she's definitely looking at earthly, this life things that yeah. people consider to be good. So anyway, yeah. So what about Joel Osteen? Yeah. <laughs> well, before we go there real quick,
0: I just want to, I just want to, um, point out that this is why this is so important. Uh, because like you said, a lot of people follow, uh, Joyce Meyer and, and you might hear some things that, that sound, accurate, um, especially, you know, a verse like this, but even some of the things that might not be as twisted as what she's doing with this verse. Uh, but ultimately what this leads to, um, a at minimum, what you will end up with if you, if you take in this kind of Bible twisting and you allow this to shape your view of God and your view of life at a minimum, what you will end up with is a very, very shallow understanding of God. Um, that that's at a minimum and a shallow throughout scripture, spiritual growth and true spiritual joy always is attached to growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, those two cannot be separated from each other. So when you have something like this, she, when she twists or when anyone twists a scripture like this and gives it a very shallow meaning, it prevents us from growing in the knowledge of God. And it leads to a very shallow understanding of who God is and a very shallow understanding of this life. Um, so at a minimum, you, that's, that's what you're left with. And it just spirals downward from there. So, yeah, let's go on to Joel Osteen and see uh, if he's able to correct what um, Meyer has destroyed. Uh, I'm, not my, I'm not holding my breath, but let's see what you got.
1: All right. So from his website, right now, God is working behind the scenes in your life. No matter what you may be facing, no matter what trial you may be going through, God has a plan to turn things around in your favor. Right now, he is working out a plan for your good. Right now, he is orchestrating the right people to come across your path. He is orchestrating the right opportunities to open up to you. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Can you imagine him up there with his accent and his big smile and his fancy hair there? (laughs) It's not thinning out. Yeah. Where is he pointing us to look though? I mean, this is even more clear. Mm -hmm. The right people coming across your path. That's the good he's pointing to the right opportunities to open up to you. That's the good he's pointing to. Yep. Again, where is he pointing to this life? Wow. So basically the message is that no matter how hopeless things seem now in this life, good things will come in this life. And yet, when you read the Bible, for example, in the Psalms or a lot of places, what is man's life but a breath? How hopeless. Yeah. So is this yeah. what romans eight twenty eight is teaching us though?
0: I don't believe so, but it's it's the uh, it's the same it's, that's almost uh, what Joyce Meyer was saying, but on steroids, right it. It's actually, like you said, it's more. It's actually clearer. It clarifies what Joyce Meyer is saying. It's the same theology. Um, he's just said it in a clearer way. Uh, but the challenge is, they are referring to scripture, um, and and they're and they do regularly throughout their teachings or their you know as they're preaching or teaching, uh, they do they regularly refer to scripture, uh, which can be confusing. When, when someone may not understand this verse properly and to hear someone quote it and then uh, explain it in a way that makes me excited about this life, that's very easy to latch onto. Uh, I want things, personally, I want things to go well in my life. Uh, I want to believe that around the next corner, this suffering will be gone and there will be uh rainbows and a pot of gold right i mean i I want to believe that about this life my my flesh wants to believe that um and so that's what's so dangerous about this kind of teaching is it 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 preys on what the flesh wants and it twists God's word to fit that um and that's why you end up in these particular instances why you end up with such massive followings um because it is exactly what people want to hear.
1: And, and, and this would be an encouragement to read the Bible and read the context of the verse of, of the, of, of the passage that you're reading. Because, I mean, we have in verse 20 in the same chapter, as it leads up to Romans eight twenty eight, of course, that the creation was subjected to what happiness, to, mm-hmm. to love, to good things, to gold at the, at the end of the rainbow. no, Creation was subjected to futility. Yeah. So, so I'll, take, I'll go.
0: Um, so we'll, we'll transition now into uh, let's let yeah let's do a little bit of looking. You're starting to do that now. Let's do a little bit of looking at um, what this verse actually means in context and kind of plumb the depths of of what it what it says, what it means and how we can apply it. So those are three ways to look at a passage uh, to make sure you're trying to come to the, the proper understanding of it. Uh, what does it say, what does it mean, and how do I apply it? And then there's um, just some different principles we can put in place to figure that out. One of the principles that is uh, very important is the idea of context, which you just mentioned. Uh, Context is always king, or maybe you've heard it as context, context, context. Uh, You have to know what's going on in the passage in order to understand an individual verse. You actually probably should know the flow of the book that you're reading uh, and figure out and, and be aware of the... Points, the truths, the arguments that have been made up to this point, um, in order to properly understand it. But uh, at, at least you need to get outside of the verse and look at the passage. So you you just referenced verse twenty uh, that creation was subjected subjected to futility. And I'd like to take you back just a little bit further. If you look at verse eighteen, uh, it's interesting that Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen don't actually quote Paul in verse eighteen. <laughs> Uh, because verse 18, what does verse 18 say?
1: It actually says something that's actually comforting. Yes, it he does. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed yep. to us.
0: So you've been saying this entire time, what is Joyce Meyer pointing to? What is Joel Osteen pointing to? And whether knowingly or or, um, or maybe unaware... They are pointing people to this life, that things will get better in this life, and they're expecting that, that um, I'll call it that quote-unquote truth. They're, they're expecting that truth that things will get better in this life to motivate someone to keep their head up and keep moving. Um, and it and stands in direct. That at
1: their What's church? that? Keep on filling out those checks and send, yeah. them, in, send yeah. them into the ministry.
0: Yep, because people want to keep hearing that message, right? But what what uh, we talked about how that's so shallow because look at what does Paul point to um, in the midst of his sufferings. He yeah. points to a future glory.
1: Yeah, because he believes that Jesus died and rose again for him. Yep, <laughs> yep. May I just say that? Uh, I'm not calling anybody a non-Christian necessarily, but you can make your own conclusions about where people look for hope. If they're looking for hope to themselves, to their mindset and to the things that they define as good. Uh, and they're not looking for hope to the God, man, Jesus Christ who died and rose again and will bring us to glory. Um, yeah, that's where they're pointing. Look at where people are pointing and you can tell where people are headed.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think that it, uh, that also speaks to let's go back to the to the situation that you were talking about uh someone so you, you were talking about like you came over and I was in a um a season of extreme suffering and trial it, uh and you came over and just shared Romans 8:28 with me and said hey you know don't worry everything's going to work out for good um that kind of falls flat like you said it, it doesn't really show a lot of empathy um it definitely I think we can we can agree on this it doesn't show the empathy of Paul uh, when Paul wrote this passage, he wasn't lacking empathy, right <laughs> um, I don't he wasn't
1: lacking he, suffering either,
0: <laughs> and he wasn't lacking in suffering, right, which is why he was able to empathize. um he was able to put himself in the shoes of others that were also suffering. But I think if we go back to that scenario now and we're coming to a proper understanding of this of this verse uh if you were to start with romans eight eighteen it doesn't it doesn't really flow off the the tongue as quickly as Romans eight twenty eight does it <laughs> because yeah, it, it's God.
1: just
0: yeah. it's not as uh, it's not as commonly used. Um,
1: but that but that, imp- that I hope I'm using the right word. I always get confused between sympathetic and empathetic. Yeah. But the but the empathetic part of things is there where the suffering yeah. yes addresses the problem.
0: Yes, empathy. So that is and yeah, that's empathy is the right use. So empathy would be um, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes uh not, not 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 only feeling sorry for them but being able to relate to them um in their suffering uh so yeah you're absolutely right and i think that that's why romans 8:18 8, um is actually a better place to start because it shows that the person that wrote the person that god used to pen romans 8:28 was not uh was not unfamiliar with your situation, he was actually very familiar with your situation that you are currently experiencing right now. Which is, is everything going to be okay in the midst of my suffering? Um, and Paul would say, yes, because this suffering is temporary, and our future glory will not be. So I think that that's where, like we talked about when we started, that just to go to Romans eight twenty eight is so shallow. Uh, it doesn't. It leaves a Christian with such a shallow view of God uh, that that really leaves you hopeless when things don't turn around in this life. But starting with Romans eight eighteen, starts to build a foundation of true hope, which can then lead to true joy. So uh, I think that's why we have to remember that context matters so much if we're going to plumb the depths of Romans eight twenty eight. So so let's uh let's recap then. Um I think that I think in this particular instance um there's a lot of other um things that we could we could look into a lot of other ways that we could uh break apart this passage to you know really start to open up uh how it actually applies but um if I was to say uh, let's just kind of sum this up with this uh how would you uh explain what does this passage mean, Josh, in its context? Um, How would you approach that same scenario where someone is in deep suffering um, and you know that this passage provides hope and comfort for the one who has faith in Christ and has been reconciled to God? How does this verse within its context and within its passage provide um, deep and lasting hope and comfort for that person?
1: Well, first of all, you know every situation is so different, and depending on the situation, I might e- not even, you know, quote this verse to a person. I might just say, "I'm sorry for your loss, man." I might send them a letter or something later. Um, but let's just say hypothetically that the person you're speaking to is open to this, and um, and they understand where you're coming from, and it's just a good reminder of these sufferings we are going through are intentional. It's not outside of God's fatherly and loving care that we go through suffering. In fact, it's quite to the contrary. It's, it's part of his uh, shaping us into the image of his son who suffered. Ultimately he's the suffering one who enters into glory to bring those who suffer after him into glory. Um, And so this whole passage just tells us that creation itself groans for its redemption, for glory. It's it's just a time of suffering because of the sin that has entered this world. But it's not without hope because the God who put this world into this state of subject or subjected the world to futility is the same God who chose you in Christ and brings you through the suffering. And by His Spirit sanctifies you, and brings you to glory. So, as much as the things here on earth hurt us, and as much as we hate going through them, uh, we must keep our eyes upon Jesus, uh, as the that familiar song goes: "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." Right. The um, the hope that we look to is glory, and that's the glory of Christ. So.
0: Yeah, I think that that's the
1: so, so don't worry, be happy. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I just it's, it's just amazing to me how much more um comforting that is to know that uh Jesus Christ came and suffered deeply uh you know our sufferings can't can't even compare to the sufferings that our lord and savior endured uh and he had his eyes on his future resurrection and ascension and his future reign with his people that he came to deliver uh how foolish for us to set our eyes on something that Jesus Christ himself didn't even set his eyes on um
1: because how- that glory is is so glorious that this present suffering yes. is not even worth being yes. compared to it.
0: Yes. Yep. You're absolutely right. And I think that as we as we grow, as we actually do grow in our knowledge of God, um, and as we as, as the Spirit continues to open our minds, open our eyes, and open our hearts to receive God's truth, um, in its in its in its truest sense and it's accurate sense. Um, I think that that is what starts to happen, right? The, the, the false glory of this world begins to fade as we set our eyes on the true glory that is to come. Well, um,
1: the song, I didn't finish, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Unlike and and Joe Osteen. By yes.
0: The way. So, I think that the way to respond then to like a the, the Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen type of view would be to say, um, even if my life were to turn in a quote unquote positive t- direction, even if I were to believe with everything that I've got and I were to receive all the money that I've always hoped for, And have all the health in this life that I've always hoped for, um, that seems strangely dim, to use the words of the hymn, compared to what I have set my eyes on in future glory. Uh, There's nothing attractive about lots of money and great health in this life compared to future glory uh, for eternity. So it doesn't.
1: Maybe maybe we should do a podcast on this topic of suffering. By the way, I was just thinking as you were saying that, isn't it much easier to to let those riches and the fame and the accolades dim mm -hmm. than it is than it is to let your suffering dim? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We don't want to drop our suffering. We like to hold on to that.
0: Yep. Because the suffering reminds us, right?
1: Yeah. It, it gives us that sense of injustice. We don't deserve this. Yep. Um, yeah. And, 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 and it's not, it's not like we're supposed to be stoics and ignore suffering. I'm not saying that, but it would be, a, that would be a helpful podcast is just how to, how to properly look at suffering. maybe anyway, yeah, that's it. Sorry. So, Sorry. That's off the rails. No, no, that'd be good. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I think I would enjoy that. I think that uh, I'll just, I want to clarify something too, that uh, the, the, when I say that the the health and the and the money and the things of this world will grow strangely dim, as the hymn says, uh, obviously um, we are called to be stewards of what we do have in this life because those things are necessary, right? So uh, we are called to to pursue um,
1: health, pursue vocation as,
0: as best as we can, right? Yeah, we're, we're we're called to be good stewards of the finances that God provides. We're called to be good stewards of our energy and our time and our resources. However, those are merely things to be used for a greater end, which is uh, growing in the knowledge of God, expanding the kingdom as far as God would use us, and then leaving it all behind as we go to something much more. So those things are used in this life, but they're never the point of this life. And I think that that's where uh, that that theology that Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen and many others have, have latched onto is they are allowing what is to be used in this life to become the point of this life, um, and and that's where the danger is. So, and that and with
1: and, and, and along a much more innocent vein, those of us who have used that Romans eight twenty eight improperly or tritely, may I just say tritely, mm-hmm. maybe not improperly necessarily. May it just give us an encouragement to rethink those verses yes. that we've been accustomed to using, kind of off the cuff. Yes. Uh, and just take a look at those verses and try to understand the context so that when we do use them, we're able to minister to our friends and the Spirit is able to minister to us in a much more yes. biblical way. Yep. Anyway.
0: Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's just it's always good, even if we even if we think that we understand a certain passage, you just kind of work back through it and make sure uh, one that we do properly understand it. And then also even in that process. Um, the Holy Spirit can can open our eyes to um, just some different applications for that uh, and different ways to to use that, like you said, to minister to others and, and He ministers to us uh, in that same way. So uh, we'll bring this podcast to a close. Uh, thank you for listening, Josh, thank you for your uh, input and insight into this passage. And um, I'm looking forward to recording some more podcasts along the same vein looking into some other passages, and trying to uh, figure out what they what they say, what they mean, and how to properly apply them. So um, until next time, thank you very much.
1: And don't forget to check us out on uh, the Facebooks and, say, Twitter. Uh, we're now hosted on anchor.fm. You can find us there. Hopefully you're listening, so that means you found us somewhere. Uh, send us feedback if you'd like, podcast at practicallytheologians.org. And we'll thank you and talk to you next time.